Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you're tuned into Rediscovering New York. I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, but Rediscovering New York is not a program about real estate. It's a show that's mostly about New York City's neighborhoods and their extraordinary history. On most programs, like today, we focus on a particular neighborhood, exploring not only its history, but also its current energy, texture, and its vibe. What makes that New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with urban historians, preservationists, local business owners, owners, nonprofit organizations, artists, and other neighborhood personalities. Sometimes we host a show about an interesting part or theme of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. In the past, if you've tuned in before, you've noted that we've talked about the history of the presidents who came or who lived in New York. We've talked about the history of the women's suffrage movement in Brooklyn. Uh, We've talked about the history of Irish immigrants who came to New York. We had several special episodes during Stonewall 50, and we've even explored the history of bicycles and cycling in New York, which goes back 200 years. In the future, we may journey to some of the city's parks or the subway, the age of a particular social or political movement or musical genre. I am putting that program together about punk and new wave, I promise you, or unique New York architectural phenomenon. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast, on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and there are other services that carry us as well. And today we are headed to a neighborhood that not until too long ago was not very well known, even to people who hail from the borough which it is based in, which it is located, and that's Windsor Terrace, which is next to, sort of next to Park Slope and sandwiched between Park Slope and Kensington. Our first guest on the show today is a Rediscovering New York regular, David Griffin, who's also our special consultant. David is a lifelong architectural enthusiast, providing creative sales-enhancing services for the national real estate community. He's the founder and CEO of Landmark Branding. David's clients include architects and design firms, in addition to developers, brokers, and marketing companies. David's Room at the Top series, co-hosted with Jennifer Wallace of Nason Art New York, is the only ongoing networking series in real estate to feature tours of Manhattan's greatest buildings, and thankfully, I've been on his guest list in the past. David's writing has appeared in Real Estate Weekly, Metropolis, Dwell, and the National Trust Preservation Magazine. And it's always a hearty welcome, David, to be on Rediscovering New York. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, How did you get interested in architectural history and in New York history? You're from the metropolitan area. Yes. uh, I grew up on Long Island, and my brother and sisters and myself were actually the youngest ever costumed docents at the old Bethpage Village Restoration, an architectural museum on Long Island. And from that experience as a small child, uh, I was about eight when we started doing it, uh, I became very interested in the historic fabric of buildings in and around New York. And then later that spread to an interest in architecture overall. Mm. We'll talk a little bit about landmark branding uh, in the second half of our our segment in a bit. Let's move to Windsor Terrace, where you've also lived yes, in your life. Yes, exactly. Um, what are the generally accepted boundaries of the neighborhood? Well, uh, they are. It's sort of a, a wedge-shaped area, and um, actually, I, I believe Jeff, uh, you know the boundaries as well. At <laughs> Eighth uh, Avenue goes down to Caton Avenue. It's almost sandwiched between. Uh, it's a six or seven block wide strip that that literally is located between two really extraordinary green yes. spaces, Prospect Park. And of course, the cemetery, which Greenwood is also yeah. Yeah, Greenwood Cemetery. Um, let's talk about those those two spaces for a second before uh, the neighborhood became what it is today. Prospect Park was planned and built in the 1860s, actually, by Olmsted and Vox, who designed Central Park. But Greenwood Cemetery is a bit older, isn't it? Yes, it dates to the um, 1820s, 1830s period and is one of the really sort of key monuments of the garden cemetery movement. Uh, This was a movement that was founded in Europe but spread to the United States. Mount Auburn Cemetery near Boston is one of the most famous examples. And the idea was as public parks were actually not very well funded and very few of them existed very early in the 19th century, cemeteries became places where people could gather and admire flowers and trees and have some restful activities. So uh, actually picnicking at cemeteries was popular in the early 19th century. I was going to ask you picnics exactly. as a joke, but that's really no, it was, that, ah. that did That did take place. And the thought that you would be spending time visiting the deceased members of your family was seen as very much a, a tradition. So it wasn't as 
morbid as it might sound to to modern listeners. It was a much more kind of a, a family activity. Oh wow, I didn't know that. That's great. Um, who moving on to the neighborhood that would become Windsor Terrace? Um, who were the people who inhabited the area uh, before the Dutch arrived? And the Dutch arrived in this part of Brooklyn in the 1630s, I believe. Yes, uh, it was settled very early in uh, American history, relatively speaking. Uh, the original peoples were the Gowanus and the Warpost tribes, and they are subsets of the people that are known as the Carnarsi, from which the Brooklyn neighborhood derives its name. Oh, okay. Um, the bit of Revolutionary War history as well, the largest battle of the Revolution was actually fought in Brooklyn. It was known as the Battle of Long Island originally and then the Battle of Brooklyn later on. Uh, and it was the Revolutionary War lar- War's largest battle. I think there were almost 20,000 British troops yes. and maybe about half the number of uh, Americans on the continental side. And uh, the battle lasted a couple of days and a lot of the fierce fighting took place right adjacent to what would become Windsor Terrace and what's now Prospect Park. Yes, in the Prospect Park Forest, actually, where there is a a memorial to the route. Yes, and to the uh, Maryland Regiment that basically kept the British at bay while Washington, unbeknownst to the British, was evacuating most of the troops off uh, to New York, to Manhattan Island. So they lived to fight another day, thank goodness, or else we would... uh, be speaking a different kind of English than the yeah, English exactly. we're speaking here today. <laughs> um, well, moving after the war to the 19th century, um, the land here was desirable because it was not that far from downtown Brooklyn, which was which was then exactly. the city of Brooklyn. Mm, right. Um, who was John Vanderbilt, and what was his involvement with, with the well, area? Well, John Vanderbilt was uh, basically the original owner, European owner, I should say, of what became Windsor Terrace in the 19th century. Um, He was a a prominent judge and also served in the New York State Senate. Uh, His family was distantly related to the more famous Vanderbilt clan, although there doesn't appear to be a lot of direct involvement. Um, So the Vanderbilt Avenue and Vanderbilt Street are named after John Vanderbilt and not after Cornelius and his... uh... There are, uh, I think one is named after John and the other is named after Cornelius, actually. So, uh, but the other uh, family that lived in the area were the Martens family, and they owned most of not just Windsor Terrace, but in that time, they owned portions of Red Hook. And they're rather an interesting sort of little footnote to New York culture because uh, their name was noticed at some point by the horror author H.P. Lovecraft, and he recycled the name into his story, The Lurking Fear, which actually takes place in upstate New York. And boy, does he let the Martens family have it. Um, (laughs) They must have annoyed him in some very personal way. But uh, anyone who's familiar with that story will know what I mean when I say it's not a flattering portrait of them. Uh, But they owned the rest of what then became Windsor Terrace. Um, They were rather... Uh, aloof, actually, mm. so m- not less socially active than the John Vanderbilt and his family. Well, apparently, uh, uh, the city officials of Brooklyn at some point didn't think as ill of them because there is a street named after yes, Martin's called Martin Street. street. Yes, and it's funny having the personal connections. My uh, uh, now former stepfather, when he first moved here from India, that's where he lived in Martin Street in mm. Flatbush in the uh, beginning in the early seventies. Mm. Interesting. Um, what happened to the land that Vanderbilt owned after he departed uh, for uh, different different places? I mean, uh, up in the clouds, as yes. to, uh, <laughs> somewhere else. Uh, or possibly to Greenwood, right. <laughs> just down the block, um, which is, I, I believe that's where his resting place is oh. now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, it was sold to William Bell, who was a prominent real estate developer of the time. Uh, he subdivided half of that purchase into building lots. He sold them quite rapidly. And he renamed the area after Windsor Castle in England because... Hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, this had to have been considerably after the revolution. Oh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so, yeah, 1840s, early 1850s. Uh, subsequently, he sold the rest of the land, the other half, to another developer named Edward Belknap in 1851. Uh, Belknap built four streets on which he marked about 50 lots for future uh, development. He referred to this as Pleasant Cottages. And the development was then incorporated as the village of Windsor Terrace. So, um, as you say, it's bounded by Church Avenue on the south, McDonald Avenue on the west, the Brooklyn Flatbush town line to the north, and Prospect Park Southwest and Coney Island Avenue on the east. So I lived on Prospect Park Southwest at Bartle Pritchard Square. Which oh, was wow. A, oh, it's just a, a wonderful location, really ideal. 
So we see a first reference in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle to Windsor Terrace in March of 1854. And from that time on, it became the commonly accepted name for the district. And actually, it was one of those parts of Brooklyn that became a separate incorporated village. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, Brooklyn, uh, the the city of Brooklyn was downtown, and and most of the county did not was uh, not part of the city of Brooklyn. And for our listeners who may not uh, uh, know it, uh, it was actually in the larger town of Flatbush. The way that towns are organ- are organized in New York is that in smaller places you had counties, which could include towns, and within towns you could have incorporated villages. In fact, this method of organization actually still exists in New York State. Uh, outside of the five boroughs of New York City. You have counties, you have towns, right. and, and Windsor Terrace was an incorporated village within right. the town of Flappage mm-hmm. in the county of Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, in reading about the neighborhood, I came across a reference to not just Coney Island Avenue, but the Coney Island Plank Road. Well, how did it get that name, Plank Road? It was, um, believe it or not, made out of planks. Uh, these were wooden planks that were laid into the ground, sort of like railroad ties, and they provided a sort of a more permanent surface in inclement weather for heavy wagons and horses and things of that nature. Um, plank roads existed in parts of New York City, in parts of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, occasionally, you'll see a reference to a plank road in places like New Jersey. You could think of them sort of as a more industrial strength version of the boardwalk. Um, none of them exist in any way, shape, or form today because modern paving and cobblestone uh, superseded them. But that was the early forerunner of paved streets in the United States. And actually, I'm just thinking, uh, Latier must have been important too because if there were lower-lying areas that would flood during you know, rain or red seasons, then you could avoid the mud by having plank roads. Exactly, exactly. It was a real pain in the neck to mop, though, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone ever write about the experience of mopping a plank road? Is there is there an account of Probably that? not. Huh. <laughs> and it was a toll road as well, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it must have been different times when you had to pay to drive your own vehicle to Coney Island. <laughs> different from today's. From today's. Um, Brooklyn, like its sister city across the East River, this New York boom during and after the Civil War, what changes did Windsor Terrace see between the Civil War and when the entire county became part of Greater New York City in 1898? Well, uh, after the Civil War, you began to see the development of row houses, and then that really kicked off, I'd say, later on in the in the latter part of the 19th century, from about 1800 to 1900. Um, suddenly, the row house really becomes the dominant building type in Windsor Terrace. And uh, anyone who has been out there to see the housing stock knows that these are among some of the best preserved uh, and really most pleasant examples of that type in New York City. Uh, They tend not to be brownstone, like in Park Slope. They tend to be brick made out of a, a type of thin brick called Roman brick. And they are combinations of beaux arts details, craftsmen, arts and crafts architecture, Italian Renaissance revival, very sophisticated. There is a beautiful row of limestone houses in a sort of a French Baroque style adjacent to Bartle Pritchard Square. Uh, But most of the houses are two to three stories and were intended for middle class buyers. So they're very solid, they're comfortable, many of them have front gardens, and there are some that actually share arcades of terraced porches that are really, really remarkable. Um, uh, there are Those are the terraces that actually give Windsor Terrace, if you will, its name, terraced houses. Ah, okay. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with David Griffin from Landmark Branding. We'll see you in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back to Rediscovering New York and our episode about Windsor Terrace in Brooklyn. My first guest is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. David, why don't you tell us a bit about Landmark Branding and what, and what the company does? Sure. Uh, so the company provides a marketing support for real estate professionals. Uh, this includes brokers, developers, um, owners and tenants of buildings. Uh, and I do everything from creating VIP tours and experiences of properties that are available, uh, writing up neighborhood histories. Uh, I give illustrated talks and lectures on the development of certain types of New York architecture. Uh, you were actually what, the host, uh, Jeff, of one of my talks on the history of the penthouse. Great talk, by the way. Everyone Thanks. raved about it. All 125 people who came to see you and George on that. Excellent. It was really, it's always fun to give that lecture. I'm actually working on one for another client on the history of the Upper West Side Brownstone. Uh, and I write, as you said, for Real Estate Weekly, for uh, Dwell. I'm writing for Brownstoner now. I have an article that should be coming out on the website soon on the history of 10 Montague Terrace, one of the grandest brownstone houses ever built in Brooklyn. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, the website is landmarkbranding.com, and I can be contacted through it. And there's a full list of other services that I provide. Do you want to talk briefly about your survey of buildings on Fifth Avenue, which I think is great? Yes, I have a blog. It is linked to, to on the website. It's called Every Building on Fifth, and I have concluded it this year. It is a photograph and a very brief capsule history of every single building on Fifth Avenue, starting with the Washington Square Arch, which technically is not on Fifth Avenue, and going all the way up to the magnificent Harlem Armory, one of the greatest Art Deco buildings in New York City, and a real landmark of African American history during World War One and World War Two. Um, I have yet to, to see the blog, but I know it's really great. And I actually live a block from Fifth Avenue on 130th Street. Um, getting back to Windsor Terrace, uh, and some of the city's best preserved buildings are on Windsor Terrace. Why are they so well preserved there as opposed to other, uh, other neighborhoods? Uh, well, I think that uh, in some ways the the neighborhood itself is is very, and I'm, I'm speaking a little bit just sort of from my own observations when I lived there, which was between 2000 2003. I really enjoyed living on Windsor Terrace because in some ways uh, the shape of the neighborhood, its position at the very foot of Prospect Park, uh, it's kind of access points, if you will, via the subway. Uh, it makes it something that's actually quite convenient to get to, and yet it's just a little bit beyond the the sort of the map of what people think of as being the famous parts of the city. And for that reason, uh, it's directly adjacent to you know great shopping and restaurants in Park Slope, for example, but then you have this sense of privacy and this real core of quietude on the streets there. They're very pleasant streets, tree-lined, beautiful gardens everywhere, and I think it's just one of those neighborhoods where people People always felt comfortable and, you know, always sort of just were, you know, living regular lives, if you will. And uh, it, it preserves this feeling of almost being a small village, like a, a little town that you might find in New England or the Midwest with a, a wonderful main street, great shopping. A lot of the stores there are owned by families that have been there for many generations, uh, owning you know the butcher's store, the pharmacy, coffee houses. Uh, there's a, a very famous bar that we'll talk a little bit about. But those things kind of provide, I think, a kind of a sense of anchoring in the community. And people really just always seem to be very invested in the, the upkeep of their surroundings. And this, I don't know how this came about, but there's something also architecturally, to me, feeling like you're really connected to the ground, and that's on, I think it's on the uh, east side of Prospect Park West, once you pass 15th Street, mm -hmm. there's a block or two where the sidewalks are actually red brick. Mm, which, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've not seen anywhere else in the city. Maybe it exists, but I, I've, mm -hmm. I've never seen it mm -hmm. before. 
little tiny uh, uh, feature of the neighborhood. Let's forward to after the Second World War. Um, the Prospect Expressway was built in the 1950s and completed in the early 60s. It runs the entire length of the neighborhood like a, like a mid-backbone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, its construction obviously displaced the number of people because the city condemned right. blo- mm-hmm. blocks, whole blocks, and they... But um, I wonder how much it, it really impacts the neighborhood now. When you're on some of the streets, you know that there's traffic, but there seems to be a way that it, that it, that it, it was built in the neighborhood that's different from a lot of other highways and how they completely destroyed neighborhoods. Well, I think in this case, the highway is submerged, so it's much less of a, a visual barrier. Uh, there are bridges on Sealy Street and on um, the main shopping street that kind of cross over it, so there's access to the, the Greenwood Cemetery in that district. It does separate a portion of Windsor Terrace from the, the core, and I think that, you know, that, that has made a difference for that area. But the in the rest of the neighborhood, you don't really hear the traffic that much. Uh, if you're near the park, you really don't hear it at all. And uh, I think the neighborhood has really kind of retained its special character despite the presence of the highway. I mean, I would say the same is true for anywhere where the the highway was um, either sunken or hidden from view. Brooklyn Heights, of course, is directly adjacent to the the, um, uh, BQE, but you don't think about that as a feature of that neighborhood either. No, because of the way it was built into the side. Yes, yes. Although uh, uh, the plan to redo it now is... uh, is seem going to uh, violate some of the the, the principles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've yet to see how that how that gets sorted out. When you hear about other neighborhoods, David, especially in the days following the beginning of the brownstone revival movement in the fifties and the sixties, you hear about the Heights, Brooklyn Heights, mm-hmm. Borum Hill, Cobble Hill. Uh, I used to live in Borum Hill. Carroll Gardens and Park Slope being either swept up in that, or it's sort of being contagious, but not mm-hmm. Windsor Terrace in those days. What was different about Windsor Terrace and why did it not really uh, see this in the 60s and the 70s and even the early 80s? I think there was less overt gentrification um, at first in Windsor Terrace because there were fewer vacancies, to be perfectly frank. I think that, uh, as I said, the houses were smaller. They tended to retain a single-family occupancy longer than perhaps some of the larger and grander houses elsewhere in Brooklyn did. In Park Slope, you're talking about houses that are you know, virtual mansions, some of them. They're you know, four and five stories tall. Uh, they took a lot of upkeep. They were very ornate. They were made out of brownstone. There were problems with facades and things of that nature. Uh, Windsor Terrace, the townhouses were built a little bit later. They're simpler, they're smaller, they were easier to kind of take care of. And when I was living out there, for example, I was living in an apartment building, but the owner of the apartment building lived there too. She was right next door. She was an elderly lady. She cooked her own meals. She was very, you know, she was very nice, very responsive. That she really considered it kind of her home, and she'd been there for almost, you know, 50, 60 years in that one apartment. So I think that there was just maybe, as I said, that feeling that people were really invested in the area. It probably was more sort of a series of personal decisions after a while for people to start selling. So you didn't quite have the sort of like, oh, wait, this is like all available that you did in certain neighborhoods where although the architecture was arguably grander, there were, you know, places that were just falling to rack and ruin. And and big houses got broken up into apartments and rooming houses, like in the Heights, like in certainly that happened to Park Slope during the Depression and after the war. Um, another question, even, even though they're virtually next to each other, the housing stock is really different in Windsor Terrace than, in, than in, even in the slope. Yes. Why is the architecture so different, even though the neighborhoods Again, are next Again, I would say that it's a, it's a question of the fact that about 20 years separates the, the high period of development of Park Slope from that in Windsor Terrace. Uh, we're also dealing with a different building type in terms of who they felt the buyer was. In Park Slope, it was you know the moneyed classes. And as you move north from Bartle Pritchard Square through Park Slope, the houses get bigger and bigger and grander and grander. And there were, for a while, freestanding mansions that existed on Prospect Park. There are some of those that survive now as institutions. Uh, There were organizations such as the Montauk Club, of which I am a member, uh, which were catering to a very, very wealthy clientele when they were first established. Windsor Terrace was much more aimed, um, as I said, at, at sort of a middle class audience, if you will, in terms of buyers. And I think the whole idea of, uh, again, going back to why Windsor Terrace is not as famous as its neighbors, the whole era of brownstone 
didn't really exist in Windsor Terrace. What you see there are Beaux Arts buildings and row houses that are in the Edwardian style. Mm. So they weren't part of the brownstone mythology that, that sprang up around older neighborhoods in Brooklyn and New York City. Oh. Okay, during gentrification, um, something happened in the zoning of many blocks in Windsor Terrace. Uh, there was a rezoning to preserve the character of the neighborhood. I'm yes. not sure exactly when that was, but it did. Didn't they limit the height of uh, construction? Yes. In 1983, uh, there was a square block-sized building, the corner of Prospect and Terrace Place. Uh, it was the Pilgrim Laundry, and this was raised and replaced with 17 two-family houses constructed in 1983. Uh, these houses were funded with the cooperation of a public-private partnership, and they were sold through lottery to locals, which was good. But brought the attention to the need for affordable housing in Brooklyn. And in the late 1980s, the neighborhood was rezoned to prevent the construction of high-rise buildings in order to retain sort of the small-town feel and fabric of the existing neighborhood. And there are not high-rises in Windsor Terrace? There is one building that could be called a high-rise apartment building by the standards of what's near it. I believe it was built in the early 1960s, and it's on Bartle Pritchard Square. Uh, but that appears to be the, the real outlier. There are a couple other apartment buildings, about a dozen or so substantial ones from the 1920s and 1930s. Some of those are actually very handsome architecturally in their own right. But post-war, I believe that's the only major building mm. in the entire district. Well, let's talk for a, a minute about something that this part of Brooklyn saw a lot of, and that's horses. Uh -huh. <laughs> there were a lot of stables in this part of Brooklyn on this side of Prospect Park. Uh, unlike Central Park, where the last stable closed down years ago, and there was a big hullabaloo that you could mm -hmm. no longer mm -hmm. uh, uh, board horses. You could no longer keep horses for, for riding in Central Park because the real estate got too valuable and they sold it off. Um, there is still a stable a block from, from Prospect Park, Kensington Stables. Yes, uh, it's the only remaining stable near Prospect Park. Um, there were dozens of stables in the area. Uh, the barn was built in 1930 as the last extension of the famous Riding Academy, which stood at 11 Ocean Parkway. Uh, that academy closed in 1937. It's, at present, it's a warehouse. Uh, by around the 1940s, the stables did start to disappear, so actually rather early in the 20th century, relatively speaking. Um, some were converted into things like bowling alleys and roller skating rinks. Others merely closed and vanished. Um, today, Kensington Stables still gives lessons in Prospect Park. Uh, it's in the Windsor Terrace side of the border, I believe, between Kensington and Windsor Terrace. Mm -hmm. so, and it's a, a very sort of dowdy, very severe-looking brick building. Dowdy and severe, yes, but it's still there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, you mentioned a, 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 a bar not far from, from Prospect Park. There is a famous bar that has some historical significance. Wasn't it one of the first bars in the city to get its license back after Prohibition ended officially in 33? Yes, and that is a large part due to the fact that many of its clientele were and still are members of the police and fire departments. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It, they must uh, have got those permits through pretty quickly. I <laughs> say lightning fast. Uh, Farrell's Bar and Grill. It's at 16th Street and Prospect Park West. Uh, it really is uh, quite a remarkable landmark and institution. It's got the original signage. Uh, much of the interior, uh, interior is original as well, including the bar itself, of course. They used to serve bar in styrofoam cups. Uh, they thought that that was just sort of safer. And now with the city styrofoam ban, they've gone back to paper. Um, it is also famous for being open every day from 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. and being closed for only a nine-day renovation in 2006. That was the longest closure in the history of the bar since Prohibition itself ended. Um, it was a men's-only bar in the beginning. And the neighborhood story is that in 1971, Shirley MacLaine went into the bar while she was filming a movie, Desperate Characters, and asked to be served at the bar. They gave her the drink. She drank it. She left. And they're like, well, that was painless. So from that moment on, it's been uh, women at the bar as well. There's another bar actually in Manhattan that uh, uh, until some point in the 70s only served men, uh, men and that was McSorley's. Oh, and, okay. Uh, in fact, Joyce Gold, who's also a regular on our show, mm -hmm. said that she went there the first day. Joyce is a bit of an activist. The first day that they let women in McSorley's. Mm -hmm. um, and the minute we have left, uh, can you talk about some of the famous people who've lived in Windsor Terrace? Sure. Um, many writers of note have lived in Windsor Terrace. Uh, people may be uh, familiar with Frank McCourt, the Irish-American writer. Uh, Pete and Dem Dennis Hamill. Pete Hamill actually accompanied Shirley MacLaine on her source... Soray into far Farrells. 
And um, probably the best-known writer to live in Windsor Terrace was the science fiction writer and um, author uh, Isaac Asimov. He lived in Windsor Terrace during his boyhood. Uh, his father ran a small candy store on Windsor Place. And it's believed that he wrote his famous short story, Nightfall, which really kicked off his career in his bedroom at the family house across the street. Hmm. So uh, definitely uh, a place to gaze at the stars from, I imagine. Well, great. Well, David, it's been a real pleasure having you on Rediscovering New York. We're going to, uh, in the second half of the show, we're going to be speaking with someone who has a little bit more recent history there. Uh, David Griffin is the founder and CEO of Landmark Branding. You can access his website at landmarkbranding.com, and your email address is? Uh, Griffin at landmarkbranding.com. Great. David, thanks so much for being back on the show. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Well, looking forward to the next one. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Rediscovering New York is a show about New York's neighborhoods and the myriad textures of our amazing city. Even though I work in real estate, one thing our show is not about is the business of real estate. But you don't have to fear, there is a really good one. It's called Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. and can be heard at voiceamerica.com and on podcast. You can like our show on Facebook. It's called Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. Original, I know, but that's the name of it. And you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is JeffGoodmanNYC. If you have comments or questions or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at RediscoveringNewYork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest. When I'm not hosting this show, I am indeed a real estate agent in New York City, including Windsor Terrace, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you'd like to see how I can help you with your real estate needs, you can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761 or jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Well, we have a special guest for our second part who's a resident of Windsor Terrace and who also is an all-around business person and community activist in the neighborhood. His name is Jeremiah Fox. Jeremiah is originally from Nashville. Uh, he first discovered his passion for hospitality and entertainment while living in Norfolk, Virginia, as a teenager. After earning a master's degree in music performance from the University of Buffalo in 2004, see, he was really a New Yorker even before he moved to New York City, he relocated to Brooklyn, making Windsor Terrace his home. Since then, he's been involved in a dozen local businesses, including food and beverage, music, and even martial arts, and we're going to get to talk about all those things. Jeremiah Fox, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. You are not from the great state of New York originally. I am not. Uh, you're from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm from Nashville, uh, Tennessee. 
How did you wind up in Norfolk? And notice I said Norfolk and not Norfolk. 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 Uh, My mother is originally from Norfolk, and we moved back there uh, when I was about 10 years old. Uh Uh-huh. What had you decide to go to school in in New York State? Uh, What's the line from Goodwill Hunting? Had to see about a girl. Okay. (laughs) I followed a I followed a lady up there, and Uh uh, and I married her. Oh, wonderful! That's great. My my wife is from Rochester, New York. Uh Uh, She was at the University of Rochester at the time. I finished my undergrad and abruptly relocated to Rochester and took a semester off and ended up at the University of Buffalo. Ah. The fall of 2002. And what did you study? Music. Music. I have a master's in music performance and percussion. Oh, great. Excellent. Um, we have to talk about that. I'm a big uh, um, uh, symphony fan. And uh, uh, Christopher Lamb, is a, I'm a big fan of his at the New York Philharmonic. He's a g- great percussionist. You moved to New York 15 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. What had you decided to move to Windsor Terrace? Uh, a colleague of mine, a, a a student at the time at University of Buffalo had moved here just before that. Uh, to he was my main bass player. He was studying at the Bass Collective, and he he lived in a few different places throughout New York City. And we visited him at all of those places. But he ended up in Windsor Terrace on East Second and Vanderbilt Street. And my wife and I had already kind of set our sights in on New York as our as our next destination after I finished my degree. And we had, you know, her friends, all of her friends from college as well were from the city. So we had stayed with her roommate who grew up in the Bronx and we'd stayed with friends in Astoria, Queens and so on and so forth. And when we stayed at my friend Mark's place in Windsor Terrace, her tone changed because every other place, every other neighborhood, we can't live here. We can't live here. We can't live here. And we in Buffalo, we lived along uh, Delaware Park, which is also an Olmstead Park, uh, very not quite as beautiful as, as Prospect Park, but same developer, same designer. So, a friend of mine lived in Delaware Park. I used to go up and visit his parents right mm-hmm. across the street. I know Delaware Park. Yeah, it's, so it, which actually is, is Olmstead and Vox's third urban park after Central Park, and then after Prospect. Park. Right, exactly. Uh, so there was this this connection we had uh, right away, and and we went for a walk in the park, and she said, I, "I think I could do this." So we just set our sights on Windsor Terrace, and that was it. How soon after you moved into Windsor Terrace did you did you find yourself owning your own business? Uh, it was a few years. I I uh, first worked for my my current business partners. They opened uh, a wine store uh, on Prospect Ave in 2007. Uh, I'd been doing uh, food and beverage and music in you know in Manhattan, working for other places and, and doing some freelancing. Uh, I first started working for them. It was in 2011, I believe, we did our first partnership together, which was a pop-up wine bar. Uh, if those of you not familiar with the pop-up, we basically infiltrate a business that already exists that's not using their space all the time and utilize it to our own benefit. So it was a coffee shop which is now a bar, but at the time it was a coffee shop that closed at four o'clock. They had a beer and wine license and they actually had a bar, like an espresso bar, but it was like this long bar and a teeny little kitchenette in the corner. So we, uh, the Times actually did an article on this. We were on New York One. It was really, it was really uh, fascinating, exciting, but crazy at the same time. So we were operating under their beer and wine license that we purchased. We were subletting their space from them. So at four o'clock we came in, as soon as they closed, we literally threw up drapery. We covered all of their wow. stuff. Did our own thing. Different business, same Totally location, different business, different LLC, license. everything, uh, but still operating off of that beer and wine license. Almost as, like, as if a, a catering hall had a, a beer and wine license and, and everybody using it. Um, everybody using the space was able to, to buy off of that. Uh, so we ran that uh, for about uh, four to six months, and then, and then the, the coffee shop decided they wanted to close. And we did it as a way to, to gauge the neighborhood, to see what the response was like, because at the time there really wasn't anything of that magnitude. There was one uh, kind of desolate restaurant that, that people didn't really attend to too much. There's no other real places to go. So we were doing nice wines, uh, you know, locally made beers. Uh, we were getting cheese from Murray's, doing like cheese boards and stuff like that, just to see what the response was. And it was really great. And we actually called the that pop-up. It was called Nanny Goat Hill. Uh, I was curious if David <laughs> was going to mention anything about this, but that was the old name of a portion of the neighborhood going from Bishop Ford High School down the hill along the cemetery. It used to be full of Nanny Goat. They were running around and we were doing different types of goat cheese and stuff like that. It was it just it, it, it wow. toned to freshness. There's some story we found. So that was the name of that. Business. What was the coffee shop called? The coffee shop was called Crossroads. And you were and Nanny Goat Hill at Crossroads. And we were Nanny Goat wow. Hill, yeah. We're going to get to the, the feel and vibe of Windsor Terrace uh, in a couple of minutes, but, but I want to talk a little bit more about your business history. Hmm. Um, what other food and beverage businesses have you been involved in with as an owner? 
Uh, so we had a craft beer and cheese and snack shop called The Prospector, uh, named after Prospect Avenue, where uh, all of our businesses have been located. Uh, we had a coffee shop, an espresso bar, and crepery called The Fox and the Crepes, uh, named after the story The Fox and the Grapes. It was a playful uh, place. Uh, I, we sold that. It is now called The Deck. Uh, we closed the, the Prospector. That one just didn't work out. And then we also own Della, which is uh, largely an Italian restaurant uh, with a nice bar. We make fresh pasta, Ooh. so on and so forth. Uh, and that is, that is currently still under my ownership. On Prospect Avenue? On Prospect Avenue, mm-hmm. correct. And we certainly have to talk about the Windsor Terrace Food Co-op. Um, to our listeners, many of you have probably heard of the famous Park Slope Food Co-op, which has been there, I think, since the 70s. There's also a Windsor Terrace Food Co-op, and you're one of the founders and on this board. Correct. When did it open? Uh, March of 2015. And you're still in get involved uh, with it? and yep. still, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Weekly, weekly meetings, so on and so forth. In the same concept, you do some work and you get... Discounts, we don't guess, but the yes, it's a it's a shop. members only food co-op based off of the model that uh, Park Slope Park Slope Food Co-op started as. Um, now, being that I'm on the board of directors and and just and one of the founders, you know, the volunteer level is a little higher than than the average, and there there are a number of us that participate that way. But yeah, it's a participatory kind of food co-op. Well, Jeremiah, one of the things that I find especially interesting about your business life is that you've been involved in and engaged in other businesses that go outside the food and beverage realm. Usually when people are in the food and beverage business or the bar business, that's what they do. But you've done a lot of other things and are doing a lot of other things. What have you been involved in in the area of music in Windsor Terrace? Uh, So I I also have a music studio, kind of a clandestine music studio in the basement of one of the buildings along Prospect Avenue. Uh, Fully recording capable. We uh, rent space out to other people wanting to use it, but there's a few of us that that operate it, but uh, it's mine and most of the gear is mine. Um, I've uh, taught music in the neighborhood. This week I'm actually teaching a music class at at Sun Dojo for their, their junior summer camp. I've done produced jingles for a couple of the local preschools and then just hosted events locally that were based around music and some of the spaces that uh, music is allowed to play in. Well, to top it all off, uh, you are literally a renaissance business owner. It's like a little bit of a renaissance man, but that's plus because you have all these businesses. You're involved in a martial arts studio. Yes, I just, you know, I I started as a student there uh, when they opened in 2015 as well. And over time, uh, asked me if I wanted to teach a little bit here and there. And now I I teach there quite often and uh, try to help out, do some recruitment and so on and so forth. And how long have you been involved with with that for? So they opened in August of 2015, I believe. Uh, I started there right after they opened, and it was probably about 18 months in when I started to teach my first classes and get involved in, like, the juniors program and and really start to uh, try to help recruit people and and talk about, you know, be kind of an ambassador for the place. Mm -hmm. Let's move to Windsor Terrace in the neighborhood. Describe the, the vibe of Windsor Terrace. What do you like about it? Uh, you know, it's it, like David said, it's it's in New York City, unmistakably. The F train runs underneath Prospect Ave and shakes it and the highways there and there are bums from the park. But at the same time, there's this solitude, there's this quietness in this small town feel where everybody really gets to know everybody. It's not uh, this anonymous kind of neighborhood where, you, you know, in New York, you can just kind of mix into the fold and. And, and become anonymous. Windsor Terrace isn't like that. You know, you step out your door and, and people kind of know everybody. It alludes to a very nostalgic time. I think it's something I hadn't experienced any other place that I lived in the many places that I lived. Never really experienced that. So it's special in that way. How long have you lived in your present residence for? In Windsor Terrace? I've been in the, the house that I'm in right now for 10 years. Uh-huh. Is there anything that makes Windsor Terrace unique to you aside from, aside from having that, 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 that hometown feel to it? Um, you know, just that, that component to it, that you can't find that in a lot of other neighborhoods, even in New York City anymore, where, where all your neighbors know each other. Uh, the kids are playing, you know, learning to ride bikes on the sidewalks on the street and playing stickball, you know, and they just run out and meet each other. They're not, 
you know, you just, just everybody just runs out and hangs out on their stoop. And I mean, Halloween and Windsor Terrace, people travel from other neighborhoods to come to Windsor Terrace for Halloween because it's it's just that great vibe. That's I think one of the most unique things about it. Are there any special events or or? Places that people congregate on Halloween. It's just generally people going around. Well, there's there's one street. I can't. It's either it's either Windsor or Sherman between 10th Ave and 11th Ave. And literally, cars cannot go down this street because there's it's a one way street. Anyways, you know, every now and then a car tries to venture down it. But there, are literally hundreds of people on In this the one yeah. block, just sidewalk street everywhere. Dogs, animals, everything you can think of. You know, enactments out of people's windows, things hanging from trees. I mean, it really, it's, it's a thing. It's a big thing. And it has been for years. Wow, it sounds like a street in New Orleans on, uh, on Halloween. It kind of looks that way. <laughs> um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeremiah Fox, uh, resident and business owner in Windsor Terrace. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. We're back. You're back. And I'm back to Rediscovering New York. Today we are visiting Windsor Terrace with my second guest, Jeremiah Fox. Um, Jeremiah, what are some of the, the ways that people can find out about the businesses you have, including the juice box, which we haven't uh, uh, talked about? Um, Instagram, Facebook, social media is good. Come and visit. Take the F train. Get off at Fort Hamilton. Hang out in the park. And then walk into Windsor Terrace and look around and see what's going on. Uh, I'm a sucker for Italian food. I'm half Italian-American. Well, actually, 716. It's a little bit of Irish on this side, but I love <laughs> Italian is my favorite food. Uh, when I come to Della, what what a couple of the, the best pasta dishes that you have? I'd say probably our most popular. Uh, we make a fresh pappardelle with a duck ragu. Um, it's, uh, it's slow-roasted duck, pulled, and it's just a natural duck sauce. It's not a, a, you know what you would think of as like a ragu, like red sauce. It's just the natural juices from the duck, a little butter, a little white wine, and some fresh herbs, grated Parmesan on top. I mean, I could eat it every day. We've been open almost four years. I could still eat it every day. It's that good. You know, I'm getting hungry just listening right, to it. And I, and, and I happen to not eat mammal meat, but I eat birds. So usually people talk about a, a dish and it's got, you know, like cows or pigs. And I yeah. mean, but duck, I'm, 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 I'm totally on board We like for. duck. And uh, what's the web address for Della? And, uh, it's DellaRestaurant.com. Oh, excellent. Okay. Um, has Windsor Terrace changed since you moved there? Um, ever so slightly. Uh, you know, I was when David was speaking, I, it even reinforced what I've always thought is that Windsor Terrace has always kind of been just a run-of-the-mill, rather middle-class neighborhood. Um, you know, a few, maybe a few bankers here and there, so on and so forth. But in general... Uh, it, it's uh, people there have no problem rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty, and I think that has kind of stayed even since since I moved in. I've seen you know subtle little changes, but 
for the most part, it's retained that. Mm. So you basically, sometimes people lament the changes that they see in the neighborhood, but you've been... Uh, no, in, uh, in 15 years, I can't say I have. I, I hear some of the old timers say that, and I'm sure at one point, if I if I stay in the neighborhood till I'm old, I'll, I'll do the same thing, but it hasn't happened yet. Mm. Um, I might ask a question about your customers. I'm going to assume that most of the people who come to the, ju- uh, the juice box, I almost said the juke box, the juice box, which sells uh, fine wines and, and booze and spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people live in the neighborhood, but do you find that, that most of Della's customers are actually live in Windsor Terrace, or do you get a significant number of customers who come outside? It's definitely a mix. Uh, we, we get plenty of, of locals, and uh, we definitely would not have survived without our close connection to our neighbors uh, and, and the, the people that live in the neighborhood and come in. Um, but the, the marketing for both is a little different, um, and, and Della definitely is you know, kind of a destination spa. We book a lot of large parties and private events, and it, it really draws people from all over. Hmm. Well, when I have a, a, a local business owner on the, on the second segment of my neighborhood shows, I almost always ask them, are you going to be opening up another business? But with you, I can't help but imagine that there will be a parade of them at some point. There'll be other businesses. Very likely. <laughs> what are the kinds of businesses have you thought about opening up in Windsor Terrace? You know, it's really funny that you ask that because on the train on the way here, I was just thinking about one of the spaces because it's kind of small and funky. Like, what could go in there? And it just came to me. I was like, we don't have a tattoo parlor. <laughs> I like tattoos pretty low overhead you know it doesn't have to be used all the time you can book appointments i'm not sure how everybody would feel about that but i just was like we don't have a tattoo parlor what like brooklyn neighborhood what quintessential brooklyn neighborhood doesn't have a tattoo parlor that's a great idea with the proper marketing especially on social media yeah yeah yeah, you could really pull it off and you could totally maximize i i think the 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 you know the constantly changing uh business landscape these days forces new business owners to think um, more like that. It's it's harder to run a, just a brick-and-mortar location, especially in a place like Windsor Terrace where foot traffic is low. Um, you, you really have to have other sources of revenue, whether it be online or other ways to utilize and promote your business. It can't just be like you roll the gates up every day and hope they come in because that, that format doesn't always work in a neighborhood like Windsor Terrace. But if the rent is lower, you, you don't have to rely on that element of the street traffic. You can... Build up a, a yeah. A we're not seeing you know the the rents of some of the places that we've recently lost in in Manhattan for sure, but it, it it's still high. It still can be high, and it can still be preventative. As a longtime business owner, Jeremiah in Windsor Terrace, is there any special advice that you would have for other people looking to open up businesses in the neighborhood? You know, like I just said, you you really have to think outside of the box these days. Uh, I've had people come and ask me, you know, talk to me about opening a bakery and this and that. And, and I've advised them, don't just think you're going to bake muffins and bread for the people that live right here. And it's going to be enough to survive you. Because even though there's 2,000 people technically in the neighborhood, People develop habits, you know, just because you're a new you're a new thing. You might be hot for a minute, but it really takes a lot uh, to to stand the test of time. So to really think about uh, outside sources of revenue, whether you're doing uh, kind of corporate accounts, commercial accounts, or if there's some way to incorporate some sort of online component, some kind of e-commerce uh, component to your business, I think that would be the smartest thing. I, I do encourage people to fill the empty spaces, but... But, you know, you, you got to be dynamic. Hmm. Now, I have a couple of interesting questions ab- about the neighborhood. Is there anything that you, since you've been living and doing business there for such a long time, is there anything particularly that you struggle with in Windsor Terrace? Uh, just maintaining that good, solid uh, foot traffic. Uh, the, the wine store does pretty well because it's the only one around, literally. You know, there's, there's in that stretch, there's one wine store per train station essentially uh so the competition is low we've definitely fostered a very communal vibe there so uh that's been good but there are a lot of uh you know other places to work out let's say uh other places to eat out other places to get coffee other places to get beer um so just really you know getting uh wholesale community support for all the businesses not just mine i've seen i've, I've had friends lose businesses that i thought were fantastic you know and it just really came down to uh, a, a lack of of community support hmm. is there anything you wish was in windsor terrace that wasn't a really great produce market. 
Um, I remember there was a green, a friend of mine, as I said, used to live on 20th Street, and when I lived in the Slope and would walk along Prospect Park West to, to visit him, there used to be a couple of green grocers along Prospect Park West, I think like between 16th, and are they, are they not there anymore? They, I believe there's one. One of them, I think, uh, closed or expanded, it became more of, of like a market and less of a green grocer. But yeah, we especially you know down the hill on Prospect Ave or say Fort Hamilton, uh, there's nothing really to that effect. Uh, that would that by and large, and this is not just my, uh, you know, I, I'm echoing people that I talk to daily. That is the largest. So for all you business owners out there looking <laughs> a green grocer, it's a hard battle. But are there any other moving outside the business realm? You being so engaged with the community, are there any other community efforts that you have thought about starting up in the neighborhood? Um, yeah. Uh, People come to me a lot for for advice on business and certain things like that. So some sort of just local business consultant would be good, and then just anything that would really elevate the community. There was there's a, there, it, I believe it's still active a, a safe streets effort. Uh, you know where just people from the community board and uh, uh, even somebody from the borough president's office was involved that that lives in a neighborhood. So things of that nature, I think, that just tie people together, but also elevate the the living situation and standard of the community, I think would be great. And I'd love to be a part of anything like that. Mm. Oh, great. Well, Jeremiah Fox, thank you so much for being our guest on Rediscover New York. We have been speaking with Jeremiah Fox, who's the co-owner of a number of businesses in Windsor Terrace, including Della Restaurant, uh, the Juice Box Wines and Spirits, and along with many others. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and also follow me on Instagram at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team at Freedom Mortgage and the law offices of Thomas Siaka. And don't forget, when I'm not hosting this show, I am a real estate agent in Halstead. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide our clients with the best service and expertise in New York, in New York City real estate, including Windsor Terrace. You can reach me at 646-306-4761 or, of course, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant, who was our first guest tonight, is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc for Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way with Noreen Sumter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 